Hello, romance book lovers. Welcome or welcome back to Tales from the Heart. I'm Jenna Hart, and each week I post new episodes from my stories of crime and passion. Right now we're listening to Deadly Valentine, book one of the Valentine Mysteries. This week is episode 10, where we go over chapters 24 and 25, where Jack and Tess have their first date, and they run into Shelby Worthington, who has a few ideas of her own about who offed Asa. Now, I've had to edit this segment to avoid violating my podcast and video host terms of service regarding intimate bits, but if you like to read the spicy elements, or if you're just eager to follow along or get a bit ahead, you can download the ebook of Deadly Valentine for free at my website, jennahart.com. Never miss the mystery of romance by hitting the subscribe button, and remember, all the details and links you might need are just a click away in the description. Now snuggle up, get comfy, and enjoy the show. Chapter 24 Tess had to admit it was an enjoyable lunch. It certainly made the afternoon go faster. At the end of the day, she picked up Helen's clothes at the dry cleaners, packing them in the bag she'd prepared and drove to the hospital. She still wasn't allowed to visit with Tom, but she learned that he was stable, though unconscious. She asked the nurse to let Helen know she was there, but the nurse came back alone. It's a difficult time for her, the nurse had said, but Tess worried that Daniel had gotten to Helen and that she was avoiding her. Tess left the bag with the nurse who agreed to pass it along. Once home, she was disappointed that Jack wasn't there waiting for, as he'd said he would. It was a bad sign. In a few days, she'd grown attached to him, too attached. Now she had to decide if she was going to go wherever the relationship took her or quit him cold turkey. As she opened her front door, his car pulled into the driveway. She watched as he pulled his tall body from the sports car. He grinned at her and she decided that she'd wait to figure out what to do about him tomorrow. Mr. Valentine, I'm so sorry your table isn't quite ready, said the host when Tess and Jack entered the restaurant. Let me find you a seat in the bar and get you each a drink. On the house. That would be fine. Jack placed his hand on Tess's elbow to lead her towards the bar. She nearly suggested that they have dinner at another restaurant. Tolliver's was definitely a date restaurant, although its bar had a reputation as a place to meet eligible singles. Tess had been to the restaurant once before, with Daniel, interestingly enough. It was the one time she'd gone on an official date with him. Kate had talked her into it by suggesting that Tess wasn't cut out for a spinster's life. Daniel was polite, entertaining, and safe, but she believed that safe wasn't a good way to choose a mate. She'd been up front with him, and he seemed to take the news well. Now, nearly two years later, she realized that his friendship had been his way of trying to wear her down. No wonder he was jealous of Jack. They'd received their drinks just as she heard a woman call her name. It is you, Tess. Shelby, how are you? Tess asked. You remember Mr. Valentine? I certainly do. Shelby held her hand out to Jack. He stood and took her hand. Shelby's face flushed with appreciation. Tess couldn't fault her. Jack was potent. Without waiting for an invite, Shelby sat at their table. Does Daniel know you're on a date with Mr. Valentine? Oh, it's not a date. Jack said with a wink to Tess. Tess and I are old friends. We're catching up. Old friends? Tess nodded. I was once engaged to Jack's friend. Wow, he must have been a real winner if you passed over Jack here. Actually. Jack leaned conspiratorially towards Shelby. She was too good for him, but what could I do? Too bad she's taken again. Shelby said. Too bad. Jack agreed. Tell me, Shelby, do you think I could take Daniel? Shelby laughed, showing all her straight-capped teeth. I 
can't imagine any man besting you, Mr. Valentine. Tess wanted to barf. Are you here with Philip? Shelby somehow managed to tear her eyes away from Jack to look at Tess. No, this is my girls' night out. You remember? You came a couple of times. Tess nodded. It was another one of those things Kate had talked her into to make friends and network for her fledgling law practice. The problem was Shelby's friends only talked about shopping and how much money their spouses made. Anyway, he's home taking care of the senator, and I guess Helen. You heard about Tom, didn't you? Yes, I did. Tess said. I stopped by the hospital to visit Helen earlier. Do you know she's staying at the house? Condescension laced her tone. Yes. Tess tried to determine why Shelby would have a problem with Helen staying at the house. She grew up there, after all. I feel bad for her and all, but please. That woman didn't want anything to do with us. And now, all of a sudden, her brother's dead and her husband is attacked. I don't think that's a coincidence. Tess looked to Jack, who shrugged. No, I don't think it is. Shelby's eyes widened. I'm surprised to hear you say so. I know you and Helen are tight. Why would my thinking Asa's murder and the attack on Tom are related have anything to do with Helen? Tess asked. Because she probably did it. Shelby nodded as if she was asking Tess to agree. Jack looked as surprised as Tess felt. What motive would she have? He asked. Money. The senator's undivided attention. Who knows? She could have easily slipped into the house. The back door was open, and she was home with Tom when he was attacked. Tess reined in her anger enough to say, Of all the people involved, I would say that Helen is the least likely to have killed Asa or attacked Tom. It's not any nuttier than me or Mr. Valentine having done it. In fact, I've been reading about these things, and it's most likely to have been a family member. You're a family member. Jack pointed out. Shelby waved her hand away. By marriage. And I don't get anything by having Asa and Tom out of the way. I don't know if you knew this, but Asa didn't think much of me. It's all because I chose Philip over him. Petty, really. Tess looked to Jack. I didn't know you and Asa ever dated. Shelby laughed. We didn't date. We had an affair, but I wanted a family. It was common knowledge that Asa never intended to marry again, since Lauren had gotten a significant amount of money in the divorce, and he wouldn't trust a prenuptial to protect his assets. Unfortunately, it's just not happening for Philip and me. She pouted, but it looked fake. What's not happening? Jack asked. A family. The doctor says everything is working properly on us, but no babies. Tess took a sip of wine and tried to hide her horror at the idea of Shelby being a mother. I hear there are other things you can do about that. Jack said. Tess kicked him under the table. She didn't want to hear about Shelby's baby escapades. His lip twitched slightly in amusement. But you have to take all sorts of hormone shots and be poked and prodded. Ick. Helby shuddered. If God wants me to have babies, he'll give them to me the natural way. It's more fun that way, if you know what I mean. Shelby turned her baby blues on Jack. I do. Jack said with a quick grin to Tess. Tess rolled her eyes and then looked around the restaurant for one of Shelby's friends. Shelby, isn't that Sally Christensen? Shelby looked where Tess indicated. That's Sally, but not Christensen. She's Dawson now, of Dawson Pharmaceuticals. She made out really good this time. Shelby stood. It's been fun. Call me sometime, Tess, and we can have lunch. Tess smiled but pressed her lips together to bite her tongue. It's always wonderful to see you, Mr. Valentine. Shelby gushed. Jack stood again and shook her hand. For a minute, Tess thought Shelby wouldn't let go. But then her friend called her name and Shelby broke off to go to her. You enjoyed that way too much. Tess said. I'll admit it was amusing. Why people need TV is beyond me. You couldn't write this stuff and sell it. No one would believe it. Shelby was quite a character, Tess agreed. What do you think about what she said? 
I agree, the natural way is much more fun. Not that. He laughed. You mean about Helen? Yes. What do you think about it? He asked. I think Shelby is nuts. That we agree on. Helen would never do anything so awful. Then again, I wouldn't have thought Tom would be mixed up in this either. You think that second computer Tom had was Ace's? Yes, but I can't figure out what Tom would be doing with it. Why would he take evidence that could help catch Ace's killer? Jack shrugged. Your table is ready, Mr. Valentine. The host said. By mutual agreement, Jack and Tess decided not to talk about Asa or the case. We are on a date. He reminded her. That's not what you said to Shelby. I was trying to protect your reputation. During dinner, Tess felt herself being drawn in by Jack, despite her desire to keep some distance. They'd only been reconnected a couple of days, too soon to think they had a real relationship. Yet with each look, each touch, he pulled her in deeper. How could she protect herself from heartbreak if she couldn't keep her heart from soaring each time he looked at her? You think too much. What? I can see the wheels turning in your head. Just a lot on my mind. He reached across the table and took her hand. We don't have to decide right here and now where this thing is going with us. She knew where it was going. The question was when. And how much would it hurt? I need to use the ladies' room. It was cowardly to avoid the conversation. Fortunately, he let her go. Tess's hands straddled the basin as she looked at herself in the mirror, wondering how she'd gotten there. No, she knew how she'd gotten there. What she didn't know was what she was going to do about it. It was too easy to like this man. To love him. When she'd left Washington, D.C. for Jefferson Tavern three years earlier, she'd made two promises to herself. One, never fall in love again. And two, if she broke rule one, never be with a man who could ruin her. It hadn't been that hard to keep her promises. No man had piqued her interest enough to fall in love. She might have entertained thoughts of Daniel at one time, but they didn't last long. By not breaking promise number one, and by being her own boss, she could pretty much guarantee that promise two would be kept. But in a matter of a few days, she was on the verge of breaking both of those vows. She was standing on the cusp of falling for Jack. Actually, She'd already tipped over the edge and was gripping the ledge with all she had to keep from falling any deeper. She had a choice to make. Based on her past experience and the promises she'd made to herself, she knew the best course of action was to climb back up on firm ground and send Jack packing, but his pull on her was strong. Or maybe if she was completely honest with herself, she wanted what he could offer, even if it was just for a short time. For so long she'd been moving through life, but not living. Jack awakened something in her that she wasn't quite ready to make dormant yet again. And he could be good for her. He had a way of putting things in perspective and reminding her to enjoy life. Then again, fairy tales only happen in books. And if she let go and fell, she'd get hurt. Even more hurt than when her relationship with Brad ended. She wasn't sure that was a risk she wanted to take. Then there was her career to consider. She hadn't done anything wrong in dating Jack. Had they been together before Asa's murder, she would still represent him. Many lawyers helped family and friends, but she supposed it still looked bad. Like a cliche, although it was usually a male lawyer sleeping with his female client. She wondered if her other clients would think there was something sordid about her representing and dating Jack. A hacking sound from behind her pulled her from her thoughts. She lifted her eyes to the stalls reflected in the mirror. She heard the sound again, this time sounding like gagging. Are you okay? Tess asked. There was another gag and then... I'm fine. But the woman continued to gag. 
Tess thought she should give the women privacy. It was bad enough to be sick, but to know someone was listening to you made it even worse. Tess knew that firsthand. Then again, the woman sounded bad, and Tess worried she needed help. She waited quietly, and a few minutes later the stall door opened and the woman emerged. Shelby. Shelby's eyes widened. Her expression surpassed surprise or embarrassment and went right to horror with a tint of anger. Are you okay? Tess asked. I'm fine. Shelby said with a wave of her hand as she made her way to the sink. I must have eaten something that didn't agree with me. She set her designer metallic purse on the countertop, opened it and pulled out a travel toothbrush and a small tube of toothpaste. In college, Tess remembered that women who carried such supplies in their handbags either slept over at their boyfriend's house or were bulimic. She wondered if Shelby carried her toothbrush for one or both of those reasons. Are you sure you're okay? Tess asked. I'm fine, really. I just ate something bad. Now that it's out, I feel fine. You know how it is. Do you want me to call Philip? No. Shelby's toothpaste spattered the mirror. No, thank you. I'm okay. I'll just clean up here, have a glass of water, and then head home. Tess wasn't convinced, although it was more her reaction to calling Philip than being sick that bothered her. In fact, with the color coming back into her cheeks, Shelby looked fine. If you're sure, then. Tess said as she turned to the door. Wait a minute. Shelby turned and leaned against the counter. You and Jack, are you really old friends? She knew that Shelby was fishing for something Tess wasn't ready to admit to herself, much less talk about. Taking her question literally, Tess could answer without lying or sharing more than she wanted. Yes, we knew each other when I was in Washington. And there's nothing going on between you two? Since Tess wasn't sure what was going on between her and Jack, she felt it best to stick to the old line. We're friends. Shelby's face suggested that she didn't believe Tess. You know Daniel has him at the top of the suspect list? I know he's a person of interest. So what's it like dating a possible murderer? Shelby's excitement over the possibility of going out with a murderer was odd. I don't actually think he is the murderer. Otherwise, I wouldn't be dating. Having dinner with him. Shelby frowned. Well, then who do you think did it? I don't know. It could have been anyone in the house. Like who? Tess shrugged. I don't know. Who do you think did it? I think it was Jack. He argued with Asa and he was by himself downstairs with Asa. Which of course went against what she'd told them an hour earlier. Tess wondered if Shelby was trying to get information. Two can play that game, Tess thought. Now was the opportune time to question Shelby about her story that Philip had been with her upstairs. As I remember. Remember? Shelby said. You were passed out. Tess had to concede that point. But I remember people saying that they were spread out through the house. After Jack and I found Asa, he went to the foyer where he spoke with Philip. Shelby's jaw tightened as she shook her head. That's not possible because Philip was with me. We came downstairs together. It seems that your Valentine isn't being truthful to you or the police. There is definitely lying going on. She watched Shelby to see her reaction. You think I'm not telling the truth? Tess shrugged. Someone isn't telling the truth because someone in the house killed Asa. It didn't have to be someone in the house, Shelby said. Lauren was mad enough to have snuck in. And although you don't think so, Helen could have come in too. I suppose that could have happened, but I don't think so. I think it was someone already in the house. Once everyone is interviewed, I'm confident the police will figure it out. Tess said, even though she wasn't actually 100% sure. Everyone has been interviewed. Everyone has made statements. But if it were me, I'd want to have a good talk with the help, especially Sarah. Tess immediately regretted her comment. She didn't want to cause Sarah grief or have her lose her job over a careless remark. 
Shelby's confident stare waffled. The help? What would they know? When I was growing up, if you wanted to know what was going on in my house, all you had to do was ask the help. No one pays attention to them, but they see and hear everything. Tess was careful not to let Shelby know that she suspected Sarah of having a relationship with Philip. I can't imagine they'd have anything to say. Especially Sarah. That girl is about as dense as they come. Tess began to believe Jack was right about Philip and Sarah. And she was pretty sure Shelby knew about it, if her reaction was any indication. I wonder who their alibi is. Tess wondered out loud. She didn't really think Agnes Walter or Sarah were murderers, but she wondered what Shelby would say to her question. Like a small fish without experience in avoiding the bait and hook, Shelby bit. You know you're right. I don't think Sarah has an alibi. Asa was pretty hard on her sometimes. He called her stupid a lot, which she is, but she is human. Maybe she couldn't take it anymore. Tess pretended to ponder the thought. I can't see it. I still think it was someone at the dinner party. Shelby's features darkened. Those are pretty strong accusations, Tess. Do you have proof? Tess shook her head. No, I'm just curious. It's like a Christie novel. All of us in the house, a murder. Aren't you curious? Tess said, trying to lighten the mood. She didn't need Shelby racing to Daniel to tattle about being interrogated. You said yourself that you were reading up on these things. You even told us earlier you thought it was a family member. Shelby relaxed. Well, I couldn't very well accuse Jack to his face, and I am curious. In fact, sometimes I don't want to go to that house. What if the murderer is there? What if Daniel is wrong? On that, Tess could agree. She didn't like visiting the house. She couldn't imagine living there. Don't you and Philip have another home? Yes, but it's way out of town, too far out of the way. And Philip wants to stay close to the senator now. Yes, I imagine it's very hard for both of them, even though they both had a difficult relationship with Asa. Shelby shrugged and turned back to her purse. She pulled out a tube of lip gloss. That's really it, isn't it? Asa brought this on himself by being so hateful. The murderer should get a reward. Didn't you say you had a relationship with him? Tess knew how quickly love could turn to hate. But she couldn't quite see how you could murder someone you once cared for. A long time ago, so I should know, he was cold and ruthless. And you know what they say? Shelby pressed her lips together, making sure the gloss evenly coated her lips. What? What goes around comes around. Chapter 25 I was beginning to worry, Jack said as he helped Tess back to her seat. I thought you fell in or maybe escaped out the back. No, I ran into Shelby. I'm surprised you two found something to talk about for so long. Normally we wouldn't. She wasn't feeling well and I wanted to make sure she was all right. She looks fine to me, he said, looking over at the bar where Shelby and her friends were laughing. Apparently it was something she ate. You don't sound convinced. She didn't want me to call Philip. Not in a, oh, it's okay kind of way, but in a don't you dare call him kind of way. That's odd. Although I don't think that marriage is based on any sort of emotional connection. There is some connection, though. I confronted her on her story that she and Philip were together when Asa was murdered. She didn't budge. In fact, she thinks you killed him. Ah, uh, and to think my good looks and charm were working on her. Oh, they're working. In fact, I think she finds you more attractive now that you're a possible murderer. That's disturbing. I thought so, too. The waiter interrupted by placing a decadent-looking chocolate tort on the table. With two spoons as you requested. Thank you. Jack picked up a spoon. I took the liberty of ordering dessert. Tess looked at the chocolate confection with longing and hesitation. It was similar to the way she looked at him, he thought. That was the difference between him and Tess. He desired her and wasn't afraid to indulge it. As if to prove to her that indulgence could be good, he took a bite. Oh Christ, that's good. 
He now understood why the Aztecs called chocolate the fruit of the gods. Do you need a moment alone? I might. Aren't you going to try it? I don't think I should. One bite probably has 5,000 calories. We'll burn them off later. He gave her a wicked grin. The effect was what he'd hoped if the flush to her cheeks was any indication. Just one bite. He reached the spoon filled with chocolate across the table. She took the bite. Her eyes closed as she savored the sweet, rich confection. If I eat this, I won't need you. In that case... He pulled the plate towards him. So did you resolve anything with Shelby? I just can't figure out why she'd lie and why Philip would go along with it. Because she did it. Tess shrugged. Maybe. But why would Philip go along with that? And what motive would she have? I can think of several million of them that are all wrapped in a bow with Worthington Corporation embroidered on it. To Jack, that made more sense than anything the cops had come up with. He couldn't figure out why no one else wasn't pushing Philip and Shelby harder, especially Philip. He seemed like the type of guy who'd give in easily, with properly applied pressure. If Tessa's so-called friend Deputy Dog would do his job, he could get Philip to admit he hadn't been with his wife while Asa was being murdered. Jack wondered how Shelby would hold up if the cops turned the screws on her. Better than Philip, probably. But she'd need a pretty good excuse to explain why she lied about what she'd been doing and who she was with when Asa was murdered. Why lie unless she had something to do with the murder? Money is a motive, Tess said. Except I don't think that they got much. Asa's shares in the company were divided between Helen and Tom. So there's more money for Shelby if Asa is alive. I'm still thinking someone wanted to shut him up, Jack said. Otherwise, why not kill him when he's alone? The timing does seem to point to that. But what was he going to say? If I were dying, I'd want to put my affairs in order. Perhaps he was going to announce his plan for the future of the company. Which you would expect to be Philip. I'm wondering, though, if Asa's wishes had been put down in legal terms yet. Maybe he was planning something different, but died before he could put it in place. That doesn't sound like Asa. I think he'd have it locked down so the family couldn't change it. Maybe it was stolen. Maybe it was on the computer. So you're thinking he made some big change to his will, but it was stolen? Tess nodded. That would support Shelby's theory that Helen did it. Or Tom, since they had the most to gain by Asa not making a change. Tess's face dropped. You're right. And what would that change be? Who else in the family could run the business? There was a change in her eyes that suggested he wasn't going to like what she was about to say. There's you. The hold that had nearly taken him down two nights before opened letting the anger and hurt seep out. I'm not a member of that family. You might be. Tess. He knew his voice was dark, a warning. Despite his feelings for her, he didn't care. He wasn't ready for this conversation. Hear me out. If Asa thought the senator was the father of Delia's baby and found out that you were Delia's son... There is no real proof of that. It doesn't matter if it's true. It only matters what Asa thought. You said it yourself, that if you were dying, you'd be putting your affairs in order. But it had to be killing Asa to think he was leaving the company in Philip's incapable hands, or Helen's indifferent ones. He needed someone else in the family. You're his half-brother. I'm not. Asa may have thought so. And who better to leave the company to? You're even more successful than he ever was. Plus, there's the added benefit that he could embarrass his father and completely disrupt the family. Asa would have loved that. If that was true, his leaving the company to me would give me a motive. No, because you would have had to wait until it was in writing to kill him. To have a claim on the family's money, you have to have proof, DNA proof, which we don't have. Unless I killed him to hide the fact I was the senator's son. Come on, Jack. You see what I'm saying, don't you? Yes. 
He hated to admit that it made sense. But it doesn't shed light on who killed him. It could have been the senator to keep the secret. It could have been any number of people who were tired of his bull. And it still didn't answer why Tom would have taken Ace's computer. What motive did he have to prevent Ace's intentions from being revealed? And here they were, back on the topic of murder. This was not the night he had planned. His goal was to sweep Tess off her feet, convince her to give love a chance. He reached across the table and took her hand. Earlier we agreed that we wouldn't spend the evening talking about Asa. This whole thing about a secret is crazy and unsettling. In fact, I think I'm going to need another piece of chocolate tort to get me through the funk. How about we just work it off? Tess asked. Jack's mood instantly lightened at Tess's suggestive tone. Tess or chocolate? He held his hands out as if weighing his options. You could have Tess and chocolate. She said. His libido kicked into high gear. Together. Why not? I knew you were the perfect woman for me. Jack was surprised, but ridiculously pleased when Tess agreed to come to his home. He'd rebuilt nearly every corner of the 200-year-old home, and it was important to him that she liked it. He watched her as she moved through his house, admiring the work he'd done and teasing him about all the green features. People never laugh when they learn I pay nearly nothing in utilities. He said. No, I guess they wouldn't. He guided her to the sunroom off the living area. She fit his home, he decided. He had an overwhelming desire to tell her that and to ask her to stay forever, but he knew it would be too much too soon for her. He bit his lip instead and watched as she took in his home. I bet this is beautiful in the spring and fall, she said as she looked out the wall of windows framing a view of the Blue Ridge Mountains. Are you sure all these windows pass the no footprint test? I'm sure. So far this is my favorite room, she said. I thought you'd think so. My mother loved it too he said, remembering all the time he spent with her during the last days of her illness. He and Cora had already removed the hospital bed and his mother's belongings, but the room wasn't completely vacant. A chair sat toward the window overlooking the view. On the other side of the room, a baby grand piano waited silently. Do you play? A little. My mother was the pianist. Will you play something for me? Nervousness rolled in his belly. It had been a long time since the opinion of a woman mattered so much. He sat on the bench, stretched his fingers as if he was a world-renowned maestro. With two fingers, he banged out chopsticks. She laughed, and the sound of it was pure music. Actually, he said, reaching to organize sheets of music. I've been trying to learn a little something I think you'll like. Really? She said, looking pleased. He played the short introduction and then started on the lyrics. She laughed in delight as he repeated Marvin Gaye's words. Let's get it on. You've been learning that for me. Yes. He said, continuing to play. I know you have a thing for Marvin. And what about you? I have a thing for you. So far in this relationship, Jack had initiated every move. Even the kiss in her office, he'd started it with a dare. So when she sat with him on the bench, placed her hands on his cheeks and pulled him to her for a kiss, Jack felt like he'd won the lottery. So, you going to show me the rest of this place? Sure. He took her hand and led her to the living area. Neither was in any hurry, so she took her time to look at the room, starting with the large fireplace with a line of photographs on the mantel. More doodads, I see. He laughed. They make a house a home, don't you think? She stopped at a picture. Her head tilted and her brow knitted as it did when she was thinking. Did Asa ever come here? He hadn't expected that. They'd agreed not to talk about Asa or the case for the rest of the night. Once, why? She turned and pointed to the picture of Delia and Cora. 
It was a copy of the one at his penthouse in Northern Virginia. He would have recognized Delia. Jack's own brow furrowed as he moved to get a closer look at the picture. She was right. If Asa had seen it, he would have wondered why a picture of the senator's dead secretary was in his home. Did he say anything? Tess asked. Jack shook his head. Nothing. Why was he here? He'd been wanting to meet with me for some time. I still wasn't back at work after Mom's death, so I put Brad on him. But you know Asa, he only wants to work with the top people. One day, Cora and I were here packing up to get the house ready to sell, and he just showed up. I guess Brad told him I was here. Seeing this is probably what started his investigation of you. Otherwise, how would he have known? Jack remembered his resentment at Asa's showing up, expecting him to jump at his whim. He started to wish he'd gone with his first instinct and not allowed Asa in the house, but he realized that his current reunion with Tess was due in part to Asa. It was hard to hold on to the resentment when he had Tess standing in his home. What did Cora say? Tess asked. What does Cora always say? She didn't like him, wanted me to stay away from him. The same thing she says about me. She'll come around. He said, pulling her to him. I thought we weren't going to talk about all this. Tonight is just about you and me and our first real date. You're right. I'm sorry. How do you feel about sleepovers on the first date? Her lips twitched. Oh, I don't know about that. I've got a really great bedroom. But will you respect me in the morning? Perhaps we can take into consideration that we've known each other for years. Or maybe that we've already played bedroom games. She said with a coy smile. He gave her a quick kiss, then took her hand and led her to the stairway. The home had five bedrooms and a nursery upstairs, but I took two rooms in the nursery and converted them to a master suite. Sounds lovely. Some of the rooms haven't been renovated yet. He said when they reached the top of the stairs. You said you're selling it. I was. I've changed my mind. He gave her hand a squeeze, the only gesture he felt safe to give her about his plans to stick around. He pushed the door to the room open and stood with her as she took in the room. Tess grew up with rich people and knew of the opulence that money could buy. But of all the mansions and luxury homes she'd been in her life, she'd never seen a room like this. It wasn't over the top dripping with gold or crystal, but it was clear only a man with money could create this room. The floors were a dark wood, nearly black. White trim outlined bluish-gray walls. Two opposing walls held French doors out to balconies. At the far end was a fireplace with the softest-looking rug resting in front of it. Bookshelves filled with books flanked the fireplace reminding her of her home. A sitting area with chairs and table were set equidistant from a bookshelf and a French door. One could read by the fire or enjoy the breeze of a spring day. And in the middle was the largest bed she'd ever seen. What do you think? He asked. It's like an oasis. They both stood in the doorway as she marveled at the room. She felt him turn, his finger under her chin guided her gaze to his. That's good, right? He dipped his head, letting his lips hover over hers. Very good. He kissed her then, one of those kisses that immediately warmed her blood. It was soft, yet thorough. He settled into it as if he intended to stand there, kissing her for the rest of the night. But she wanted more. She slipped her hands over his shoulders, letting her fingers thread through his hair, and turned up the heat on the kiss. She heard him groan, felt it vibrate deep in his chest. She lost herself in the blue-green brilliance of his eyes. She wondered for a moment what color was listed on his driver's license. Was turquoise or teal an eye color? They held an intensity that matched the slow, thorough, driven way he'd just loved her. He dipped his head, kissing her with a gentleness that nearly brought tears to her eyes. 
I love you, Tess. Her heart stopped. She knew she was supposed to feel elated, but she was pretty sure that overwhelming pressure in her chest was fear. Now it made sense. This change in him. He'd wanted to show her how he felt. With each slow touch of his fingers and caress of his lips, he'd been telling her he loved her. She started to open her mouth, not quite sure what was going to come out. Before she could find out, he pressed a finger to her lips. I'm not used to keeping my feelings to myself. I guess I can't anymore when it comes to you. But unless you're going to say you love me too, I'd rather you not say anything at all. She gave a short nod to let him know she understood and remained quiet. She saw the hurt and disappointment in his eyes. He'd hoped she would tell him she loved him. But how could she? Saying it would make it real. As it was, she was more involved with him than she'd ever wanted to be. Laying emotionally stripped bare, she was too vulnerable. How could she give him the power to shatter her life, to break her? And yet, the way he looked at her, the way her heart responded to him. She remembered when he'd said that of the two of them, he was the one most at risk of getting his heart broken. He was right. He was constantly giving her his heart and she was always trying to push it away. She desperately wanted to tell him something, but couldn't find the words that would make him happy and still protect her heart. Will you stay the night or do I need to take you home? Do you want me to stay? You know what I want. He said with a terseness that made her jump. I want you. I want you too. That she could give him. He shifted and she worried that he was leaving. That her offer wasn't enough. He took her face in his palms. Show me.